The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. So the reading this morning is going to be Acts uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 10. Um, I just want to say, you know, this was a really powerful morning hearing the testimonies of these folks who are up here. I hope now that as we get into the Word of God, this doesn't feel anticlimactic to you um, in that, you know, when we read scriptures, I think there's a lot of way to take it, but I, I think, you know, it's important to understand that this is actually um, our loving Heavenly Father communicating with us um, to let us know, I mean, over and over and over again, just His love for us, His kingdom plan, His purposes. Um, and so I hope that this doesn't feel anticlimactic to you, but... Um, Let's read. So Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated. As we've been going through the book of Acts, now this is part of the struggle of teaching this way, is that some of you, this is your first time with us, others of you have been with us a couple of times, but we are now in Acts chapter 16, which means that if this is your first Sunday, you've missed the first 15 chapters of teachings, which is about 25 Sundays that you've missed so far, and so let me catch you up. (laughs) The book of Acts was written to a friend. A friend. Luke was writing because he wanted the mysteries of Jesus to be understood by a friend. And this is how we now benefit through the power of the Holy Spirit working through this. Luke wrote his gospel to a singular friend and then writes this letter of Acts to a singular friend because he wants them so badly to believe in the Jesus that he's come to love. He had a chance to experience and to see. And so the book of Acts is about how God is now acting. How through the spirit of Christ, Jesus is still alive on this earth, even though we know from scriptures that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so the book of Acts is about how people starting in this upper room of Jerusalem, and then it spreads to the streets, and now it's starting to spread around the known world, because they knew that it was such good news that it was worth telling people that were throwing stones at them. I want you guys to understand this. It is one thing to celebrate with people that believe like you believe, um, especially coming after a Saturday like yesterday, which most of you wear some sort of college colors and you fly some sort of college banner. And yesterday, some of your colleges beat rivals and you then looked at your rivals in the face and were able to like, yeah, but they didn't necessarily throw things at you. It's possible that they may have. 
Um, but it's easy for us to get into the same colors and then to celebrate and rejoice good news. But the early church was telling people good news. And some people were ready to receive it. And what we find in the book of Acts is that Paul had a strategy. He, it doesn't seem like it was random. He was immersed in prayer. And he went everywhere the Spirit told him to go, at least from what we see in Luke's story. We also know, based upon the teaching last week, that Luke, in talking about Paul and the Jerusalem Council, that church leaders got into a public dispute that was heated. Like they were upset, and, and according to the language, it was like they were red in the face towards one another. And so Luke, in writing this letter to his friend, is making it very clear to them, look, these people were Jesus in Jesus, and they were benefiting from the works of the Spirit. But in their flesh, at times, they disagreed, and they had public arguments. And so the book of Acts isn't just about all the good victories of the early church. It also exposes and makes it seem very much like you and I could be on the pages. Because our story is very similar. We have days where we walk in victory and days where we're discouraged. Days we're encouraging each other and days we're actually discouraging one another. And that's the story of the book of Acts. And so we find ourselves now in Acts 16 after a triumphal victory where they they came together and they were talking about Gentile inclusion in the church and what burdens they had to carry. And they came to a consensus that in Jesus nobody should be burdened. There shouldn't be anything required of them. Now, then they write a letter to the early church to say, this is what we're now saying because other people were writing letters because we're not the only generation where people circulate bad information. And just like we have bad information that goes out on many occasions for many different things, the early church also fought against it. And I even shared with you last week how Paul told the early church, check my handwriting on these letters. Make sure the letter is from me, because there were people that wanted to steal, kill, and destroy the early church, just like people want to steal, kill, and destroy the work of Jesus in his church in Baltimore to this day. And so that's the best I can catch you up to Acts chapter 16. Let me share this with you. I'm going to just touch on verse 10, which is the last verse that we just read, and then I'm going to spend the rest of the time on 1 through 9. Did you pick up on verse 10? What was the most exciting word in verse 10? We. So wait a minute. If the writer says we then left, who's most likely now on the journey with Paul and Timothy and Silas as they're going through um, Turkish reason now heading towards Greece? Luke, the writer of this book. I don't know. that, That really was exciting to me. Some of you are like, wow, the pastor gets excited about some really strange things, right? And so I know there's some different ways that people interpret verses like this, but I just want you guys to hear this, is we are meant to tell people what we experience in our faith. We are meant to go on a journey. We're not meant to just sit back in some sofa Christianity and just watch the church exist. We are meant to be engaged in it, And not only engaged in it, but then telling people, whether through writing. I would love for some of you to adapt our social media culture, to use it as your way of saying, this is how I experience Christ today. Because the people that follow you have already said they want to follow you, and it can't get any more obvious when you get a notification saying that ABC person wants to follow you on Twitter 
or on Facebook or on Instagram. And we even have the language already set up for it. People want to follow you. Now, sometimes it's for bad reasons. Sometimes it's for good reasons. But in every instance, we are to be proclaimers of the hope that we found in Jesus Christ. And so here we find Luke, I believe, is now not just telling history of what he's accumulated from other people's journals and writings, but somehow he has found himself with Paul and Timothy and with Silas and others as they're going into places and telling both Greeks and Jews. Because not just was it prayer that got Paul through. Every time he strolled into town, he would go to the synagogue first. And he would start by sharing. And we're getting ready to see in Acts chapter 18 when he stepped into Ephesus, when he went into the synagogue, he only found 12 people willing to listen, but that was fine with him. And so we always view it as this big crowd or this big thing, but Paul didn't care about size, but he just was looking for a place to go into to begin to let people know the greatest news that anybody could ever hear, no matter where you're born, what your ethnic background is, what your economic background is, what your educational background is, because in Jesus Christ, we become heirs of the greatest inheritance that anybody could ever want to have. And that is phenomenal news. And so now as we step in to Acts chapter 15, I don't know if any of you in here have ever had to hire somebody. Have any of you in here ever had to literally interview and hire an employee? Would you raise your hand? Hi, I want to see kind of, all right, I would say about 30% of the room. How many of you ever had to pick a roommate? Like you didn't have a roommate imposed upon you, but you had to pick a roommate. Would you raise your hand? All right, there's another part of you. How many of you have ever had to decide whether or not you were going to ask somebody to marry you or you were going to have to decline the invitation? Would you please raise your hand? Okay? All right, some of you. All right? So in some way, shape, or form, the majority of us in this room know what it's like to invite somebody really close to you. All right, I want you guys to hear this this morning. In a very intimate way, Both Bryant and Michael and Summer had a chance to look at you and say, I want to invite you very close to me this morning. It's very personal. It's uh, intimate. And so depending on that experience, I want you guys to, to understand what it may have been like for Paul to pick a Timothy. He's inviting a young man to be a part of his intricate ministry knowing what he's already experienced and also knowing what he's most likely going to experience. And we already know that John Mark let him down. And so now he's picking somebody to walk with him when he's had the good and the bad of ministry. And he's trying to figure out what it looks like to go forward. And we in this room will experience that. There's no way out of the 100 plus people in this room that a 100 of us are going to go on the journey intimately together every day. But you have to have a way of looking at somebody and saying to them, I need you to walk with me more closely. You might go into one of our growth communities, one of our small group structures, and see a room of 10, 20 people. But you might need to look at somebody and say to them, I need you to walk more closely with me. We're designed to have that level of intimacy, even in the disciples as Jesus was walking the earth had three of the 12 that got to do things that the other nine didn't get to do. And then we began to see that there was also an extension of the 12 
to 70 plus people that were then being sent out and commissioned. But even those 70 were put with somebody else. They were never sent out in isolation. And so let me hear, let me let you hear this. And what I'm saying to you, if you are living your faith where you are saying, I've got this, I'm good by myself, you are in serious trouble. It might be good for you right now, but it may not be good for you next week or a year from now or three years from now because the body does not live when, it's, when a part of it is separated from it. We are designed to be the body of Christ. We are designed to be on mission and in life together. And so in this passage of Scripture, I believe that Paul had some sort of litmus test there's, there's other scriptures that support the fact that Paul most likely knew Timothy's grandmother and mother and knew the family story. And so when he rolls into town, it's likely that he may have already met some. But yet, when you get into this part of the country in the first century, it's very likely that the church was still very small. And there weren't a ton of believers. It's not like you could just go up into the Turkish region of the Mediterranean in the first century and Google churches. And, and a bunch of lists would come up. And the churches that actually put the word church in their name would actually come to the top, right? When the Google search engines, people are like, man, when I Googled the church, your church came up on the front page. Well, we had no idea that when you put Baltimore and church in your name, that Google will automatically bring you to the first page. It was brilliant on our part, right? (laughs) But what we began to find here in this early church is that they were beginning to see the necessity of everybody's worthy to hear the gospel. Everybody's worthy of being in on this, but I need to invite some people really close because it is going to get hard, and I need to know who I can trust. I need to know who's going to have my back. Last week I read to you out of um, Philippians chapter 2, and I want to read for for you again. But in Philippians 2.19, this is Paul's love for Timothy and the church. At the same time, listen to this. It's going to be on the screen for you. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him. Just listen to that. That's powerful. Who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Wait a minute. So he has a deep love for Timothy. But yet he has a deep love for the church, so why would he send second best? He's like, there is not going to be another person that's going to love you in your circumstances better than Timothy. What a powerful word. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. So there's this huge desire in Paul to see this church built up. But there's also great maturity in Paul to say, it's not quite yet time for me to send Timothy to you, but he's coming. Now, let me have a pep rally, so to speak, so you can be excited. Like, have your oil lamps ready, because when Timothy comes to town, you're going to be taught to be mature in Jesus Christ. He's going to help you navigate conflict. He's going to help you sort through all the letters you've received and be like, this one's false, this one's true, this one's false, this one's true, this one's false, 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 this one's true, right? So he's going to come in and help you navigate what it's like to bring people of different ethnicities together for the first time in church history. 
He's going to talk to you about what it looks like to set aside your margins because when the church fights, who gets hurt the most? Say it. Say it loud. The poor. We're going to read in Galatians when we come to January in our, in our time of prayer and fasting that Paul's concern for the conflict of the divisions and the lack of unity was going to distract them so much that the poor were going to be neglected. And so when we spend all of our time arguing theology and arguing all this kind of stuff and we all still claim Jesus and we claim the Father but yet we don't get over our arguments, there is a group of people that are suffering because we are distracted and we need to make sure that we don't lose sight because at the end of every day, one of the best ways for the world to see that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive is that we're giving away our stuff. But too often we spend more of our time wanting to collect it to fill up our tomb rather than to give it away to make sure it's still empty. We've got to be careful that we don't get distracted. One of the things I love that N.T. Wright said about this particular passage of Scripture in Acts 15, here's a quote. Paul circumcised Timothy, listen to this, not, and as N.T. Wright says, I stress because Timothy needed circumcision to become a full member of God's people, but because it was going to be much easier to advance Paul's mission if his companions were all able to be seen as proper Jews. Now, let me just say this. Acts 15 was a Jerusalem council, and one of the major points of discussion was circumcision. And so Paul now goes on this missionary journey with Silas, chooses Timothy, and what is the first thing he does to Timothy? But didn't they just send a letter around saying that circumcision wasn't required? Can I say this to you? And I, and I put this on a slide, and it's a little bit farther into my notes, but I just want to bring it forward now. But we sometimes think it would be nice if life were not complicated. But it is. But the complexities matter. Listen to me. All right, let's just, because I did this earlier, Joel and Andrew, I just want to, inter- I got to put the names and faces. Both of you stand up just for a second. All right, they're now going to become living. You heard them talk about scripture reading just a minute ago. Now you get to see them. They're both amazing young men. There's going to be times that I might give Joel some advice that might be different than Andrew. And there's going to be times I might give Andrew advice that's going to be different than Joel. And they're both correct. Now, that's complicated. Because shouldn't it be simple? Like, shouldn't I be able to go to Acts chapter 15 and then look at Andrew and read it and then look at Joel and read it and be like, everything is equally proportioned for both of you. There's no confusion and every word needs to be exactly what it is. So, Andrew, you get a pass on circumcision. Joel, you have to be circumcised. (laughs) Wait a minute, where's the equality in that? Um, Joel's like, I don't necessarily want to be laid up for a couple weeks. Aren't you supposed to do that when you're, when you're a baby, like maybe no more than a couple of days old, and then, then you don't really have to grieve in pain? But as an adult, this really, really is bad. Okay, you guys, thank you. You can sit down. <laughs> and Joel sits on a pillow. <laughs> so what we find here in this passage, and I think it's really interesting, because if I work backwards through my notes, if we look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we're going to find that Titus was told he didn't need to be. So Paul has another young companion, Titus, and Titus is a champion like Timothy, and Paul says some great things about Titus as well, but then Timothy has to be circumcised, but then the, the believers around Titus were saying, you need to be circumcised, and Paul shows up and says, no, he doesn't. 
I'm like, oh, Paul, <laughs> making it really hard on me as a pastor to communicate this to you. You know, it's like, well, what, what are we or are we not? Does it matter? And I want you guys to understand this in 1 Corinthians 9, part of verse 12 through 19 through 23, I think really does summarize this. And let me share this with you. On the contrary, this is almost in response to what I just shared with you about the confusion of, is it right for Joel? Is it not right for Andrew? And all this in a Timothy Titus conversation. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than to hinder the gospel of Christ. All right, now that's a powerful statement. All right, let me continue to unpack this, jumping down to verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one. Listen, you are free. You're free, period. Now, how do I steward my freedom is the question. Who am I becoming by walking in this freedom? I have the freedom in Jesus. I am in Christ. Nobody can take me out of the Father's hand. Uh-uh. <laughs> Nobody can do that, right? And so Paul is continuing to explain this. I have made myself a slave to... Listen, he's now chosen as a recipient of this freedom to now do whatever it takes for everybody else. So that means he's giving up his freedom to be safe, to be comfortable, to not have rocks thrown at him, to not to be knocked out cold like he's dead and drug out of a city, not to have somebody nurse him back to hell, not to be bitten by snakes. All these different things that we're going to hear about even more in the book of Galatians when we get to January, but is he's saying to them, look, I gave all that up to the Jews. I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Timothy... And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessing. His life of freedom was spent as a servant to other people. And so what is his lesson to Timothy? Timothy, we go to synagogues first and people know you have a Jewish mother because, if I'm not mistaken, in the Jewish line, um, wait a minute, maternity is the mother, paternity is the dad, correct? All right. I didn't want to misspeak and then have some of you send me emails later. All right. It's pretty easy to know in the maternity who the mother is, right? Do I have to make a picture for you? Okay. But paternity is a different story, right? Okay? It can be a little bit more complicated depending on the choices that we make. And so if you have a Jewish mom, you are Jewish, right? And so Timothy had a Jewish mom, Greek father, Jewish mom. And Paul, now listen, Paul did not do these kind of things apart from a disciplined prayer and fasting life. 
I want you guys to hear me. Paul isn't just sitting in an office saying, well, what am I going to talk about today? He's not just saying, okay, next. He's not just having people come up to him. He is spending time meditating and praying and fasting and seeking God's face because he knows he's going to have to make public decisions like this. It's going to cost him to know, wait a minute, I've got a group of slaves in the room with me. What do I need to become so that those slaves can know the hope of the gospel? I have a group of business leaders in the room with me right now. What do I need to become in order for them to understand the hope in Jesus Christ? I've got a group of Jewish people in the room in front of me. What do I need to become in order for them to understand more fully the hope of Jesus Christ? Paul is praying and making decisions moment by moment, if not daily, saying, Jesus, how? What do I do? And I'm bringing these people along with me. What is going to amplify the hope of Jesus Christ to the people around me? And Timothy needed to be an amplifying factor. Titus was a voice to silence voices. There were people that still did not understand the freedom we have in Jesus Christ. And so they were putting burdens on others, and Titus became an example of laying a burden down so that others could have a hope found in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is not making things confusing for us. We want it to be simple. We don't want a prayer life. We don't desire fasting. We don't act like we don't know it all, right? Many times, the more education we get, the more money in our bank, the more we think we know everything. Have you ever been around school teachers? Can I get an amen out of you just for a moment? Have you ever had a parent stroll up because they were the best accountant and they come into your class and tell you how to teach English, right? <laughs> right? It's, it doesn't matter. Even you could be a math teacher and parents come in and they act like they know what they're doing, but you have all the degrees on the wall saying that you're certified to teach their children and all they've done is birth them and offer their opinion, right? <laughs> and so, so often what ends up happening is, is that because we excel in one thing, we think we excel in everything. And Paul says, I excel at nothing. I am going to find myself in Jesus, powered by the Spirit, so that Christ is exalted in my life. And that's what he is shooting for and striving for in this passage of Scripture because they were in a difficult place. Man, there's so much happening geographically here. I almost wish we had a world map I could have put on a slide for you. But they're about ready to embark on a several hundred mile journey through the mountains. So it's going to take multiple weeks for them to get to the places that they're going. But we hear in this passage, they were told not to go to one place, but they're walking and they're going. But do they know where they're going? No, they have no idea. How many of you like to go into every week of your life having no clue what the next week is going to hold? I mean, there are a few of you that are like, eh, I love it. Free spirit. What's coming, right? This church is not for you. I'm just kidding. But for the rest of us that actually like to have a sense of, I'm, I know where I'm going, I know what it's going to cost me to get there, Paul and his team did not always know, but they were constantly in prayer, and every day they didn't sit on a sofa and just try to, to imagine church. They were taking steps every day, Father, we're going this way until you tell us something different. 
And then through prayer and through fasting, Paul falls asleep and has a vision of a man praying. And that man looks at him in the face and says, please come to us. And then he wakes up the next day and he tells his team that a man appeared to him in a dream and said, come to us. And they were like, all right. I mean, I, I know we have like a church way of understanding the scriptures, but if your spouse or a friend or a roommate said, hey, I had a dream last night and I'm getting ready to make a life-altering decision to go to the Greeks, which the gospel hasn't been to yet, where we're going to endure all kinds of persecution and things that we have never could imagine, and we're going to be the first to go there. Come on. Yeah, let's go. We're on a mission, right? There's so much to this that shows that not only did Paul have a prayer life, Timothy had a prayer life, Silas had a prayer life, other unnamed companions had a prayer life, Luke had a prayer life, Because they were going in, and there's no confusion and disunity on the team. They were like, yes, the Spirit came. He communicated. There's a a, a freeing of the Spirit in all of them. And I just want to say to us as a church, are we having highs and lows like we talked about in Acts 14? Are there miraculous things happening? And are there stonings? Because we're out pursuing our faith in Jesus Christ. And, much what we, and what we can learn from Paul as he picked Timothy and Paul as he led a team that included Luke through Turkey on his way over to Greece, they had no idea where they were going. But they were constantly in prayer, constantly seeking God's face. So here's a slide I wanted to put up for you. It's one thing to trust God's guidance when it's actually quite obvious what's to do next. It's something else entirely when you have no idea what's next. That's why it's called faith. He had a vision at night. So here's my ending slide for us, and this is what I want to put up for you. The weeks of walking and waiting, of wondering and praying had led them to this. Right? This is what Paul and his team are doing in Acts. They are walking and waiting and praying and fasting and wondering and, he- and doing healings and being healed themselves. And sometimes they have a place to sleep. Other times they don't. Sometimes they're on weeks-long walk at a time. Sometimes they're in boats. It doesn't matter, but the whole purpose is to say, Father, what do you want me to do? And they waited, but they stayed actively telling people about Jesus until they knew where God wanted them to go next. And I mean, what would it look like for us as a church if we developed such a prayer life that every day we just said, Father, what is it you want me to do today? What is it? Like, okay, I know I got to go to my lab for 18 hours today at Hopkins, but Father, would you let me go there on purpose? Right? It's not just to get a degree behind your name. It's to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's something that we all get to do. So some of us, maybe today is the first day for you to take a long walk of waiting. We read the scriptures like everything was microwave. Like they prayed and the response happened right away. And we lose the timeline many times. Because we want everything quickly. Don't make me work for it, Jesus. Just give it to me. Right? 
And so there's the tension. I am free in Jesus, but if I'm going to live like Jesus, I have to lay all that freedom down so that I can be like Christ to other people, which means I might have some version of a cross to go onto myself. So then we're like, "Uh, I'll just take my salvation and go to heaven rather than give my life up now so that others can experience hope. Right? We're meant to bring hope. We're meant to bring life. But a lot of times that means we suffer. That's not like, oh, that's great. I want to be a Christian because I want to suffer. Right? No, because we know what's true is that we are heirs of a great inheritance that is coming. But in, we're in the in-between. We're the in-between people is what Advent really is all about. We're getting ready to come up and, and experience. We're in-between people. In-between the resurrection and the return. And in the meantime, we need to be family. We need to be there for one another. And we even need to invite others closer so that we can remind ourselves of everything that God has for us. And so this week, some of you walk and wait, but be praying. Don't stop praying because I believe God has something he's leading you towards. Would you stand with me as we pray? And I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Father, we want to hear your voice. We want to know your voice better than any other voice. And Father, we are doing the best to honor you in every aspect of what we're trying to be as the body of Christ. Father, we tried to walk in what we felt like were obedience as steps and how we greeted one another, how we sang, the purpose of the songs we sang, even embracing the testimonies of our brothers and sisters who shared their baptism experience with us. Father, we are wanting to be faithful. But Father, we are still struggling with, at, the, at the discernment of what do I do today? How do I give up my freedom for others today? And so, Father, as we struggle through that, Father, would you continue to let your voice be louder than all the other voices that are competing for us? Father, for those that are, have still yet to believe, would they hear your voice calling out to them as your loved children, and would they embrace your love and, and your faithfulness to them and the sacrifice of Christ, Lord? Would they believe that to be true for them? And Father, for the rest of us, we're getting ready to come to the Lord's table. Father, this is a meal that you left for us to come and gather around and to remind each other through the breaking of bread of Christ, through the cup, the blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And Father, we come and we hear these words to us and we speak these words to others. Father, out of our love of saying, Father, would you mature us into images of Christ for others? Father, I pray that, that Christ would be honored and Christ would be glorified in us. And that there would be no more confusion, no more doubts, no more fears, that we would walk in the power that you've offered to us. And so, Father, we love you and we thank you for the gift of your Son. Father, I pray for those today that are heavy-hearted and broken. Would you please give them rest? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.